Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Why would you leave your safe country to come here and help people you don't even know in a country that's so far away? My tattoo says, fear us women, O enemies of humanity. For you who die by our hands will burn in hell forever. I was wondering if people could join ISIS, if people could volunteer to fight with ISIS. There must be a way for people to volunteer to fight against ISIS. Well, that's what she did. Uh, That, ladies and gentlemen, is the voice of Hannah Bowman. Hannah Bowman Bowman is, for all intents and purposes, a badass. Uh, she is uh, a very inspiring individual, and the uh, clip you heard there is from the film Fear Us Women. It's a documentary that's about her, but also about these Kurdish units, the women protection units that have been involved in the fight against ISIS, on the front lines of the fight against ISIS. So why would this woman, who had never been in the military, had no combat training, leave her life behind in Vancouver to go and fight against ISIS? And that's what Hannah Bowman did uh, back in 2015 and has had quite an impact, receiving a lot of attention as well. As mentioned, this this documentary, you can go to fearuswomen.com to watch the documentary for yourself. But Hannah Bowman is back in Canada and joins us on the line here this afternoon. Hannah, so great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. So I understand you are back in, uh, in Canada, in Vancouver. How long have you been back? I've been back since uh, late August. Um, and what have you made of all the, uh, the coverage, all of the attention you received? And we can talk more about your own personal journey, why you went, but uh, it's uh, certainly attracted a lot of attention, hasn't it? Uh, it has in Canada lately. I've been getting a lot of attention in Europe uh, for a couple of years now. And North America seems to little, be a little slow getting on board with it. But ultimately, um, I'm not doing this for attention. I'm doing this to raise awareness of what's going on in uh, northern Syria. So about time somebody started paying attention here, I guess. Did you plan on going back at some point? Not now. Um, Turkey has recently just attacked the district of Afrin, and I mean, so there's more war still happening there. ISIS is gone, but it really hasn't made much of a difference with Turkey. So, but I don't have any intention of going back there right now. So my plan right now is to help some refugees. Uh, as you say, I mean, it seems as though ISIS is on the run and they suffered some tremendous setbacks, but the, the war isn't yet over. How much progress has been made from your perspective? Against ISIS, it's pretty much near the end. There's only a few pockets left. But when you consider the the bigger enemy, you know, the Turkey was supporting ISIS, and uh, Turkey has a pretty much a genocidal campaign against the Kurdish people in northern Syria. The, the war is going to keep going. So I've actually, my war against ISIS, technically ended 42 years ago when I found out who the real enemy was out there. And who is the real enemy? It's Turkey. Turkey supports ISIS. 
So why don't we why do we pretend otherwise? Right? Hmm? I mean, Turkey's still a NATO ally. It's almost as though we, we go out of our way to to not see this, it seems. We do. It, it's been very frustrating. That's part of the reason why the media has been slow to catch on in the West, too. Um, you know, apart from our bubble being thick, um, it's because it's a NATO ally. I can't say anything about a lot of NATO ally. But, uh, but it's, just, just, it's just the fact. It's just the truth. You know, you go out there and you see the truth. The sun comes up and Turkey supports ISIS. And, and when I say Turkey, I don't mean all of Turkey. Clearly, there's not everybody in Turkey is crazy. But there's Erdogan, the president of Turkey, and his ultra-nationalist, Islamo-fascist party uh, supports ISIS. And uh, now that ISIS is pretty much done, they're stepping in to fill in the gap left behind. All right, so we were there. You were uh, with uh, what's known as the YPG. This is the Women's Protection Units uh, of the, uh, the Kurdish militia. Tell us a bit more about what the YPG is. Well, the YPJ is the women's. The YPG is the men. So just easy to remember G for guys. Okay. Um, the, the YPJ's first primary purpose is to fight for women's rights in the Middle East. Um, and fighting ISIS is clearly the second purpose. So... Um, I was inspired by them when I first learned about them in 2014. I thought this was an amazing group. What they were doing inspired me, so I figured I have to, I have to go there and be a part of it. And so, they, I mean, this is fascinating, I think, to me and to a lot of people, because you hadn't been in the army, you hadn't had any kind of combat experience, uh, and this was not long after you'd suffered a near-fatal motorcycle accident living in Vancouver, and to make the decision to, to go overseas to join this fight, what was your decision-making process like? Um, I was just kind of, like, bored with my life. I hadn't really achieved anything that I was proud of, that I thought was worthy of, you know, all the good fortune we have of being of living in Canada, we live in a country full of opportunities. We don't grow up in a, we don't build lives out of nothing in Canada. So, and I was originally from Africa, so I've always been very grateful for the fact that I grew up in Canada. So I just wanted to pay it forward, and and I had been looking for something to do. And when this came along, it just felt like the right thing. So it was like a natural fit. All right, and so it was 2015 that you went. Yeah, I arrived in Rojava, which is the Kurdish region of northern Syria, on March 10th, 2015. How difficult is it even to get there? It was easier then, but it's a lot more difficult now. Yeah. Uh, you still had to get smuggled in. You couldn't go directly to Syria. You had to go to Iraq, and then you had to make contact with people and go to safe houses and go hide out in villages and little mountain camps and stuff like that and cross the river in the middle of the night in a rubber dinghy. It was, it was a deal. Took ten days to get into there, but right. now it's much more difficult. What about Canadian officials, by the way? Because obviously they're going to be inherently suspicious of anyone who's going to that region. We've we've certainly heard about uh, Canadians who have become radicalized and gone to fight with ISIS. Uh, so, what have they made of your travels? Um, well, they questioned me, uh, and uh, now we have a pretty good, um, you know, relationship. We we uh, talk to each other quite often. Um, they're more interested in people who actually join ISIS. Oh, well, sure, yeah. They checked up on me to make sure that I had gone for the right reason and stuff like that. They don't condone it, but at the same time, they're like, well, you know, you're free to do what you want. Um, it's just, you know, when they come back, they want to make sure that everyone's been on the good side, sort of. And then if we have any intelligence on any Canadians to join ISIS, they're certainly interested in that. So right. for the most part, the Americans and Canadians have been very, uh, very positive about the whole thing. And so before you'd went, you'd made contact with the, the YPJ, or they... They, they knew you were coming, and they, they were prepared to welcome you. Yep, yep, pretty much. They uh, they told me how to get there and everything, so yeah. 
All right. And so what, what was life like there? What was, uh, what was day-to-day life like? Was, was there actual fighting or what sort of work were you doing? Um, there's a lot of fighting. Uh, the YPJ is a fighting army. It's not like a, you know, defensive or logistical or something like an army. The women fight. Uh, most of the time, especially in the beginning, it was when the when the front lines were still kind of uh, more fluid. Um, you'd be pushing the front line a lot, stuff like that. But day-to-day stuff is pretty boring. Unless you're actually in a fight, it's pretty boring. But it's not like a Western army. We don't have all the luxuries of a Western army. We... We were living off rice and naan bread. I mean, one week all we had was naan bread and water. The water, a lot of times, is just dirty water, and uh, people get sick from the water a lot. Um, there's no electricity. There's no. It's really nothing. It's just camping, mm-hmm. and uh, you'd be out there. And, like the first time I was there, I think I went six weeks without any communications with the outside world too. So it's, it's really roughing it. So if you can't if you can't go camping here, you sure. <laughs> handle it out there it's such a remarkable contrast too when you look at how isis views and and treats women and and to have this this army of women taking the fight to them uh i think it's certainly a very powerful symbol but uh did they um how did they feel uh, about you and and how did they feel about the idea of of women soldiers um they didn't like us there was a there's a story one of the uh, Western uh, men from Sweden was telling me about where they had captured a, an ISIS guy, and uh, the men had captured him. And while they were holding him, you know, this guy was all yelling and cocky and everything like that, and telling them how the ISIS was going to win, and they're all confused and stuff like that. And then the YPJ commander came by, and uh, all of a sudden this guy apparently grew, grew really scared. And then uh, he started, uh, like, the YPJ commander, she said, well, he's going to come with us. And I guess this guy started crying. He was like, no, 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 leave me with the men, leave me with the men. He was, like, deathly afraid of the women, right? So, it's like, it, like, it's, like there's, so they say that if they get killed by the women, they don't go to heaven. And that's the thing with ISIS is, like, you can't negotiate with them because right. their goal is to go to heaven. It's not, their, their, their good life isn't here on earth. It's the afterlife. So, they don't mind getting killed here except by the women, because if they get killed here, then they don't go to heaven, right? So, yeah, so it was, uh, I wish I'd have been there for that one. It would have been a funny one to see. Right, yeah. Well, and I mean, that's you know, that's been so powerful, too, not just to see the liberation of towns and villages, but to see that, that personal liberation for women forced to... to uh, cover themselves up to be able to shed that that burqa. It's it's quite something, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it is. It's also something, even after we've liberated the area, when we help them to uh, form a new government, because it's not just a fight against ISIS, it's, it's a revolution for a new democratic model. And everything is done, uh, instead of a centralized government, it's a decentralized government, everything's done by local committees. Every committee has to be co-chaired by a man and a woman. Um, I think it's 40% minimum of the committee has to be made up of minorities, so all ethnicities and women. And if it's a decision that concerns only women, men have no say in it. So it's completely different for the Middle East. And uh, from what I've seen so far, living it, uh, the people there are very, you know, that once they understand the process, they're totally on board with it. Like, so it's a long time coming, this change. We, we tend to think of the Middle East as all a bunch of misogynistic, you know, patriarchy. But the, even the men there, are, they watch our TV shows. They see our movies and stuff like that. They want to be part of the 21st century, but their governments and their religious fundamentalists have kept them in the dark ages for so long that they're tired of it. So 
when the changes come, they're usually, for the most part, very accepting of it. Did you think about the possibility of capture? What would have happened to you had had you been captured? Oh, they would have definitely uh, tortured us and raped us, and you know, made a video about it and propaganda video, especially the foreigners. So they would have, you know, there would have been no coming from that. It would have been a death sentence for sure. So that's why whenever. Um, if there's a chance of us being captured and there's no hope for rescue, then we always have a either a last bullet or a last grenade. So that's it's just something you have to accept, right? Yeah. It wasn't something I dwelled on or anything. Tell us about the documentary. I know you um, have been promoting this. I think it's screened recently at the uh, Whistler Film Festival. Um, but it's, I mean, it's about your story, obviously, but I think it's also about letting people know about the the YPJ. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. It's, it's, I didn't want to come across as being some white savior or anything like that. So I, I wanted to concentrate more on talking about the YPJ. Um, when they originally approached me about it, I thought it was just an interview for a larger documentary and mm-hmm. with multiple interviews of different people. And then when they sent me the final, the rough edit, I was just like, oh, no, this is all about me. And I was kind of unsure at first, but then they did such a good job with it. You know, like he's a... David Darg is an Oscar-nominated director, and you can see that in the video. It's it's so well done. It's not like a normal documentary where it's kind of like a, an interview and you have to sit through it and listen to someone talk the whole time. The visuals that he found, you know, they went there and they filmed some footage. They used a lot of the footage that I filmed, and they uh, used a lot of footage provided by the YPJ and the YPG. So they made a really, really good video, like, even I'm like, I watched it again last night. And I was just like, wow, this is just amazing. And it's a short video. It's only 27 minutes. So it's really easy to watch too. So I think they did an amazing job. And I hope it really goes far. Um, like you said, it, it's already screened at the Worcester Festival. It won the best international short there. I suspect it's going to win a lot more. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. And people can watch it at fearuswomen.com. What, what, what do you hope people get from it? I hope people realize that. Um, there's a women army out there that are fighting for women's rights. Most people seem to have no clue about this. And I hope that it inspires them as much as it inspired me. Maybe not to go to war, but to just, you know, make a change in your own life and say, I don't have to be a victim to this, you know, patriarchy, these abusive things anymore. Not all men are bad, but there's a lot of men out there that are doing bad things. And we, as women, women have to start standing up and fighting that because this idea that the, the knight in shining army is going to come and rescue us, it's just not going to happen. We have to we have to help ourselves. So I hope this film will inspire more women to to do that, to come out and speak up and to fight back. Well, Hannah, we certainly uh, salute and, and applaud everything you, you've done and um, congratulate you as well. It is truly uh, an inspiring story. And thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.